This is Jenny Allen, and you are listening to the Made for This podcast. We want to thank HelloFresh for supporting Made for This. Go to HelloFresh.com slash Made for This free and use code Made for This free for free breakfast for life. One breakfast item per box while your subscription is active. You guys know Joel Metamali. He has been here before. He's a great theologian. He has also benefited our audience many, many times by the podcast, by helping me with research for my books, as well as the If Gathering. He has spoken there a few times. So Joel, it's so good to have you. Man, I'm so excited to talk with you and and uh, and see you and have a fun discussion. I'm excited about this one. That's always fun. We're talking about the enemy. We're talking about spiritual warfare. Light work, Jenny. No big deal. Light and fluffy. We're not going anywhere deep. We never do here. But I do know that this is a topic you just broached with a bunch of college students at Breakaway. Tell everybody a little bit about that. Yeah, it was wild. Uh, A good friend, Brian McCormick, uh, invited me to come. He They're working exegetically through the Gospel of Luke and hits Luke 4, 31 through 42. And um, it's the demon exorcism scene in in the Gospel of Luke. And uh, Brian and I uh, have known each other for a while. He's the executive director uh, of Breakaway now. And uh, my doctoral advisor, Dr. Michael Heiser, who had passed away just earlier this year, uh, he his specialty is on the supernatural realm, Old Testament, New Testament, understanding spiritual warfare, what's going on with these cosmic supernatural beings and how do we as humans make sense people who love jesus we want to follow jesus we want to do the things that jesus uh, has equipped us vocationally and missionally to do how do we make sense of the supernatural realm and so brown was like hey would you come speak to a couple thousand um college students on texas a&m at the reed arena and talk and work through the text it's like absolutely and so we were so surprised there were actually typically at this time i think there's like two thousand or so there's like almost 4,000 students that showed up for Luke 4, 31 through 42 on demon exorcism. Um, And Jenny, the thing that I realized throughout that process is we are all being discipled one way or another when it comes to this conversation. There is no passive in between. Uh, And so with these students, I put up some lyrics and um, there's this really famous song uh, that's out. And at the end of it, it, I just hummed the little lyric, you know, I go, "Mm, she's a, and 3,500, almost 4,000 students go, she's a devil. And then it was silence. And it was this awakening moment to really recognize, like we're singing songs that are on the radio, that are on our playlist and our music that are actually informing our theology. Like it's actually informing how we think and we're being led, I would argue, uh, cunningly and deceptively. We're being led to believe that Things like the devil or demons or supernatural beings, like like these things are good. They're beneficial to us. You're going to have money and riches and power and pleasure. Uh, and I think this is an, an incredibly seductive and devastating reality. And so um, we work through that text and, and this demon experiences, encounters Jesus, and the demon freaks out. <laughs> He's like, whoa, who are, you're, the, you're the son of God most high. And um, we work through the text, wow. but I was amazed that these students really cared. Like they don't want fluffy. Like they want to know how to think theologically about these things. Yeah, you're right. And they're up against it, right? Like they're seeing darkness in, in ways that I don't think 
we saw in our college years and they see the need for understanding it in a different way. So talk a little bit about just this conversation because it can be awkward. It can be, you know, just uncomfortable for people to have. So maybe put everybody's mind at ease a little before we dive in. Yeah. I mean, I think it's important that we always go back to Genesis. We go back to kind of the first things to help frame our mind around this discussion and, and kind of the questions like, well, are, is the supernatural realm an afterthought? Is it not something that is important? Is it something that is secondary or tertiary? And and I just think it's so important, Jenny, that we just recall and recollect that the tension of Eden is a supernatural conflict. Eden is the temple home of God. It is the place where supernatural beings and God's uh, human image bearers live and reside. And the serpent, the Hebrew word for serpent is nakash, and it can actually mean three things. It can mean an actual serpent, like that word can translate to action, an actual serpent. It also is a reference to the guardian cherubim that we see in Isaiah 6 that are um, you know, in the throne room of God and uh, that are placed, actually the two guardian cherubim that are placed uh, at Eden after they get out. And it's also a word that's used to describe a fiery presence. It's like burning, like fiery imagery. What's super fascinating is that I I would argue along with my doctoral advisor, Dr. Michael Heiser, that in Genesis, this Nakash is doing all three things. It is a supernatural being that is in direct conflict with God and his people. And the way in which this enemy presents the conflict is deceptively by questioning the goodness of God. It's by questioning the validity of the truth of who God is. And what's wildly fascinating to me about this whole narrative is that in Genesis 3, it says that God um, comes to Eden and he walks in Eden. This was kind of a routine thing for God to do with Adam and Eve. The Hebrew word for walking, it does not have a destination in mind. So when God comes to Eden and he walks with Adam and Eve, he's going on a leisurely walk. Now, I am not a runner for fun and I'm not a walker for no reason, Jenny. My wife, she'd be loving going on walks. She loves walks. But I think this is so important because what it lets us know is that it was routine for God to go on leisurely walks with Adam and Eve. Mm-hmm. Why is this so important? Why am I camping out on this? Because all Adam had to, Adam and Eve had to do when the serpent suggested this deceptive way of thinking um, wrongly about God is be like, hey, let's just wait. Let's wait and let's have this conversation mm-hmm. with God because he's going to show up. Like we normally talk with God. And, and I do think mm-hmm. that this is the nature, the overarching nature of spiritual warfare. It is a compromise of truth. It's not saying that 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 it is like we're going to totally reject truth completely, but it's a corruption of truth. So that instead of 100% truth, we get 90% truth. And 90% truth is still false when it comes to the gospel. Like, be very careful of the 10% that is presented to you to um, deceive you into believing something that actually is going to take you into a road of ruin. And so the supernatural conflict that takes place in Eden is the backdrop of a war of two kingdoms. It's a war of God and his kingdom and his desire to have his family back together. And then you have an opposing kingdom that is being led by uh, by Lucifer, by the, the, the Satan, the Hebrews, Hasatan, um, which is the accuser and his uh, evil forces. And the language of Paul in the New Testament, these are powers and principalities and authorities and dominions. Uh, and they're taking root in systems and structures in order to corrupt and destroy the good work that God has for his children. I'd love to just talk about what you see today. Let's start here. Just apply it to our lives. Like, how do you see this happening today? Yeah. So 
So to be frank uh, and honest with you, I actually think some of the most seductive and um, devastating ways that spiritual warfare is actually happening is through earthly realities. So when I talk about systems and structures, I want to talk about things like alcoholism. I want to talk about things like fentanyl and opiate uh, abuse. I want to talk, thing, talk about things like pornography. These are things that desecrate the, the image of God that humanity has as a gift. These are things that lead us into unholiness. They promise us pleasure. They lead us into a pit. Like it is, it is devastating. And we have to be aware that they, they're not being motivated neutrally. There's There are dark forces that are at play that are presenting these things to us in order to derail us from the truth of the gospel, to derail us from the joy of, um, of authentic relationships, the beauty of covenant marriage. I mean, there are actual dark powers that are present in this. I was doing some research and some study on um, hallucinatives. I'm not sure you, you even thought we were going to go this direction in this podcast, but <laughs> Ayahu I, ayahuasca and uh, DMT in these hallucinative ingredients that put you in an altered state of mind. Well, well scripture is super, super clear. Um, Paul says for us to be sober-minded, right? The context mm-hmm. of sober-mindedness is the background of chemicals that compromise our right way of thinking. And so there are dark forces that are at play that are using, um, that are leading us to uh, counterfeit helpers that are actually absolutely derailing us. And it's to compromise our mind. And if the enemy can compromise our mind, then the enemy can lead us astray because we're not looking at the truth of scripture. We're not being um, aware of the power of the kingdom of God in front of us. And so that's how I'd say like very practically, it's like, you know, I, oh, here's another one, social media. My goodness. Think about the neurological um, chemical hits that are taking place when you open up your phone and you see the amount of likes you got or you didn't get, the amount mm-hmm. of shares that you have or you don't, the amount of views that you have or you don't have. You know, uh, these are all things to make you think in the context of pride that you should be more than you are or devastate you because it, it tempts you to believe that you're less than you actually are. Both polar extremes, thinking that you're more than you are and subjugating yourself and thinking less than, than God intended for you to be are both equal parts horrific because it demeans the image of God that you actually bear. I do feel discouraged sometimes when I'm working on a project and I'm in my research stage because it does feel a little like we got handed a tough time to live (laughs) as if every generation hadn't had its troubles. I mean, certainly there've been at war and many things that I don't envy, but as far as the subtlety and the way the enemy is luring people away and into depression and loneliness, isolation, I do feel like it is, it's not as clear as it would be if we were at war or something more concrete that was Mm. devastating. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, completely. You know, I think about the person at home listening and thinking, well, I don't really do drugs. Like, how does this impact us? Why is this? Why does it matter? Because we can't get out of the culture we're in, right? We're going to probably, most of us are not going to get off social media or whatever other ways the enemy is trying to seduce us. What is the implications of just the small and subtle ways the enemy is attacking us? Well, I think you mentioned one of them is loneliness. You mentioned anxiety. You mentioned depression this constant awareness that there is something else out there. And then this belief that that thing out there could actually be better than what you currently have. Mm -hmm. You've got this longing, like, if only I had, right. And it's like, if that, that phrase, if only I had is a inclination 
that is a temptation to believe that what you currently have is not good enough. And if what you currently have was given to you by God and what you currently have is not good enough, then just maybe God himself is not good enough. And so if what you have is not good enough and God is not good enough, and now you're being presented with things that that you are longing for, and if God isn't going to be the one who's going to give that thing to you, then what are you going to do? Take it of your own means. Figure out how you can grasp it. Figure out how you can control it. Um, and so it is a subtle temptation, and it, and it is both uh, extravagant and big in terms of addictions and alcoholism and pornography, and it is incredibly subtle in terms of what is the conversation that is happening in the chamber of your human heart when you come across something that you wish you had that you don't. When you, and I've had this feeling personally, Jenny, um, there's years ago when I worked uh, for this uh, Bible software company and I would be in like arena settings with all of these people and I would feel utter loneliness. Like mm-hmm. how is it possible to be in the midst of so many people and in a sense, like have attention on me. Like, like I'm, you know, I think I'm a kind of type A personality and I can get out and have friends and talk to people and, and still be like, devastated because I feel like I'm so lonely that nobody really understands me or have this thought in, inside of me like do people actually care about me or what I can provide for them <laughs> you know right. like, do, do, they, right. do they actually yeah. want to be friends with me or do they just need something and yeah. I'm just waiting for the ask to to kind of happen and so all of these things are questions that compromise identity questions that compromise um you know the the question of can we find satisfaction true satisfaction in god and within the community of god's people or do we need to look uh, elsewhere in order to find mm-hmm. it and it's that looking elsewhere um that the enemy i think is often looking to kind of contrive opportunities to lead us astray so you believe that the enemy is feeding thoughts to us yeah this is a really great question so i think there's a difference there's a difference between um possession and oppression um, I'm going to hold, and different people have different opinions on this, but I'm going to hold uh, that if you have the indwelt Holy Spirit inside of you, um, you and I both have a mutual friend in Luke, and I love Luke's passion for sanctification and holiness and, and temple of God conversation. And so in Ephesians 2, says that um, we're the temple of God. Ephesians 1 says that the spirit of God dwells inside of us. So if this is true, I do not believe that believers can be possessed by uh, by demons or possessed by these supernatural uh, beings. They can absolutely be oppressed. They can absolutely be fed thoughts, ideas, um, things on the outside that weigh us down. You know, uh, as as active warfare. This is Ephesians six. This is the language of Ephesians six that's that's at play now. And I want to be very specific on this because I think specificity is very important when it comes to theology. If there are people that are not believers, they do not have the protecting, guarding, indwelling Holy Spirit. There are things that we can do to open up gateways of communication that I do believe. Possession is a possibility. Now, demons are limited in space and time. They are not like God. They're not omniscient, omnipresent in all places at all times. They're limited beings. However, if you open yourself up to alcohol, to drugs, to um, to pornography, these end up being hooks in the human heart that the enemy can can you know catapult onto. Um, and then, yeah, I do think that possession is possible. But I think generally, generally, the enemy works in three ways. Temptation, deception, and accusation. The enemy is tempting us to believe things that are not true. 
the enemy is deceiving us by presenting to us counterfeit helpers, and the enemy is accusing us, and the accusation is framed in shame. You're not good enough. God doesn't actually love you. Like, look how filthy you are. Look at what you thought. Look at look at how you look. Mm-hmm. Look at, you know, and all these things are offenses against you. So, yeah, I would say that the enemy for believers and non-believers alike can uh, present things in front of you. Can And the enemy is aware, can see the things that are happening, you know, kind of uh, around you. But for believers, I do think we come to this conversation a little bit different because we have the indwelling Holy Spirit. So we shouldn't come to this conversation from a from a posture of fear or frailty. We should come to right. it from a place of confidence authority. Yeah. and authority because we have the authority of Christ right. in us. Yeah. You know, that was a breakthrough for me that I wrote about and get out of your head was I was doubting God and confused about whether he was real. And this was in the middle of the night for so long, I was taking it. And there's no doubt anybody that that hears that, that that went on in the middle of the night for that long would say that that was spiritual oppression, that you were being Mm -hmm. attacked because I'm someone who really genuinely believes in God deeply. Like I obviously, I mean, I'm not a good faker or an actor. So yes, I deeply believe in God, but I think that attack, I didn't take the authority that I had. I didn't stand up against that for so long. And when Mm -hmm. I did it, there was a complete shift. It wasn't a little bit of a shift. It was a complete shift. So talk a lo- little bit about that authority because we need to understand that and believe in that. Yeah, absolutely. This is one of my favorite things to talk about. Um, think about Second Corinthians chapter 5. Um, Paul talks about the ministry of reconciliation and he calls you and I ambassadors of Christ, ambassadors of Christ. That phrase ambassador is a technical term and it's a term of a person who carries the weight of the power, the presence, and the authority of the king that that person represents. So we're ambassadors of Christ. So what Paul says is uh, that Christ is making his appeal to humanity in and through mm-hmm. us, which means that every, like, this is such a profound thought for me that it just fills me with encouragement. In every place that you and I walk, we carry the power, the presence, and the authority of Christ himself into those locations. In your home, in your school, in the car line waiting to pick up your kids, you have the right. indwelling presence of Christ in you. And guess what? That minivan that you're driving becomes sacred space because you are a sacred person that is anointed and holy and set apart for God. And so if you carry the power and the authority and the presence of the king himself, in the same way in Luke chapter four, when the demon comes against Jesus and goes, there's actually a Greek participle that's missing in most English translations, but it's basically an emotive uh, participle. And it, and it, and it's basically like, Ugh! like it's like shock. It's like it's Jesus, the Messiah. That same response is going to be present for demonic forces when they come across the spirit of God that dwells inside of you because you carry the power of the presence and the authority of Jesus himself. Just when you think it couldn't get better, I have free breakfast for you guys. It's that time of year and things are crazy. Our schedules get crazy. And this is the greatest time for us to use HelloFresh to plan out delicious, thoughtful, and easy to make meals. HelloFresh is so much more than delicious dinners. They have easy breakfast, quick lunch, and snacks all delivered along with your weekly box. And they have a special deal for you right now. Go to hellofresh.com slash made for this free and use code made for this free for free breakfast for life. One breakfast item per box while your subscription is active. 
With the holidays coming around the corner, HelloFresh helps take the stress out of dinner time because they deliver everything that you need to cook meals right to your door. Skip the grocery store trip and get fresh ingredients and delicious recipes delivered with HelloFresh. Their app is easy to use. You can pick your meals and then you decide on your delivery date and sit back. Plan ahead and you can order extra appetizers or little quick bites and even photo-worthy charcuterie boards. All of HelloFresh's ingredients travel from the farm to your door, so you know that they're fresh. Go to HelloFresh.com slash MadeForThisFree and use code MadeForThisFree for free breakfast for life. One breakfast item per box while subscription is active. That's free breakfast for life at HelloFresh.com slash MadeForThisFree with code MadeForThisFree. I just wasn't taught this young. And so I'm so passionate about this because it's such an odd conversation if you're not used to having it. And some of you are listening. You're like, I don't even know if I believe in God. I don't know if I believe in Jesus. Y'all are truly freaking me out right now. I understand. I feel that way. And I've been a seminarian. I've actually taken a class on demonology, if you can believe it. So (laughs) I actually have been in these conversations for a long time. And I can still say it still kind of hurts my brain because I'm thinking, Oh gosh, so is there a demon in the room with me and a demon in the car with me? You can kind of start to obsess. I just want clarity of what we are to do, Joel. Like what, how do we fight back, but not obsess? Yeah. So this is, I think the, the golden kind of chapter of this is Ephesians six, you know, and it's, and it's, it's the whole armor of God. Um, And I'll just read it here really quick. It says uh, in Ephesians six, 10 says, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. The way that Paul starts Ephesians 6 is vitally important. Be strong, which is which is God is the active agent and we're to be strengthened. We're the passive recipient. So the way that it starts is there's a strength outside of us that comes to us. It is not a strength of yeah. our own making, but it doesn't diminish our responsibility because look at verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God. So with the strength that we've received by the spirit of God, we're supposed to put on the whole armor of God so that we might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities, against cosmic powers of the present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And then he goes, therefore, take up the whole armor of God. And then I think it's important that we recognize, like, look at what this armor is. Fasten the belt of truth. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Have shoes that are the readiness of the gospel of peace. Put up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish the darts of the evil one. Take on the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Pray at all times in the spirit. Now, Jenny, when I was reading this, I found it super fascinating. I actually don't think that this is arbitrary armor. Uh, Paul is actually quoting Isaiah 59. And in Isaiah 59, all the way back here, Isaiah says uh, that God's looking out and he wonders why there's no one to intercede on behalf of humanity. And in verse 17, it says that God uh, puts on righteousness as his breastplate and and a helmet of salvation on his head. He puts on garments of vengeance for clothing and he wraps himself in zeal like Mm. a cloak. I mean, this is intimacy. This isn't just some random arbitrary armor that you put on. You're actually putting on God's armor himself. And the only reason you're able to put the armor on is because he's given you his spirit to give you the power and the strength and the ability to put it on. Actually, this is an echo of Saul and David. Saul tries to give David his armor and David can't wear it because he doesn't have the power. He doesn't have the strength. He hasn't been trained. Mm. And here in Ephesians 6, we get the armor of the king, but we have the power of the king and the the protection of the king, the, the right. king to actually spirit, wear yes. this armor, the spirit. Exactly. Yes. 
And then, you know, that armor is really interesting when you look at it. And this is the practicality, because sometimes I do live theologically. I live, you know, some 30,000 feet and, and I've been really challenging myself and friends like you, like, you know, you're always pushing me like, but Joel, how does this work? So a theology that is unlivable is unhelpful. So this is the livable part of this. Look at the specificity of the armor. So the belt of truth is the scriptures. The scriptures lead us to truth. Who is the embodiment of truth? Jesus himself. In this list of armor, it's actually recalling uh, Greco-Roman armor, so what the Romans would wear. So the interesting thing about the Roman armor, uh, Jenny, is that if you had a belt that didn't fit and it fell off, the way that all the other armor is put on you, everything else falls apart. Like you can't have the the breastplate. You can't have like all this stuff would literally fall apart without the security of the belt. And so I think the first place that it goes to is the truth of scripture. Because remember, the enemy is trying to deceive you into believing that scripture isn't true, that Jesus isn't who he said he is, that God isn't for your good. So if you don't have the truth of the the scriptures as the foundation of your understanding, everything else is going to go sideways quick. But then everything else is kind of an out, outpouring, like your feet are ready with the gospel of peace, you know? And so, I don't know, there's just so so much here. But I think Ephesians 6 is absolutely the place that we go and it sees and, and we see a spiritual response to spiritual warfare. But the problem is we cannot separate spiritual and earthly. These two worlds are, are invading each other. They're always correlating. They're always connecting. And so the peace that God gives us supernaturally is always intended to be lived out and experienced in a physical earthly reality and um that is the opportunity that we have as faithful people who love jesus to uh, to spread that peace to show that peace some of the ways that we do it is forgiveness some of the ways that we do it is prayer some of the ways that we do it is actually the establishment of boundaries you know like that's an odd one but it is like there's so many ways that we can show the peace of the kingdom of god as a winsome witness for the world to long for what their heart longs for but they don't think is possible Sometimes I think for many of us that are parents, we see the enemy coming for our kids. We feel like they are being beat up and they are under oppression, possibly even possession. What would you say as far as our role as parents when we're watching that happen with our kids and their faith isn't? What ours is? Yeah, I mean, I'm. I, I don't know that I've got a great answer to this because I've got littles. You know, I've got a 12, 10, and eight year old, and I've got a three year old as well. And I will say that this is one of the most important conversations that my wife and I are having right now. And just an awareness of like the things that they're listening to, the things that they're watching, um, the things that they're being told and taught to believe is appropriate and good. Mm-hmm. When you get into it, and you're like, there's not anything good about this. Like this is actually incredibly deceitful. And so one, I think. What I've found with some with my older kids, the 12, 10, and 8, it's open and honest conversations. So, like, for instance, the Doja Cat song, you know, like the other day the boys were running around like singing it. And so I was like, whoa, hey, let's talk about this. What do these words mean? Like, what do you think they mean? Okay, great. Now, what does the Bible actually say about the devil? How should we think, you know? And so, again, I'm trying to help our kids, my kids particularly, think theologically about these things without telling them what to think, but framing how they think. And and I want to just point them back to scripture. This isn't about dad said so. This is just like the Bible is teaching us. It's actually helping us and aiding us. And the other thing too is, I'm going to say some stuff. My friend, Jim Crest, who I know, you know, uh, Jenny, he says this phrase, it's simple, but it is not simplistic. And here's this, the, sim- the simplicity of it. Pray for your children, 
Like I literally anoint my kids with oil. <laughs> like yep. I've got oil. Yeah. I like at night, like when I can, you can feel like when things are dark and you're like, oh my gosh, they're working through some stuff and literally they don't even know it. I'll just like feel like I'll wake up in the middle of the night and God, God will tell me like, hey, just go pray for them and anoint them with oil. I've got a little anointing oil and I go and I pray for them and anoint them with oil. And I just- hey guys, you know, just real quick. Jesus. I've used olive oil. I've used olive oil. I'm just saying some of you are like, I don't have any anointing oil. Use, use olive oil. oil. <laughs> Absolutely. There's nothing. Yeah, that's even, just, that's really, that's I great. I just Jenny. don't want to make this feel like it's weird. I mean, it is weird. It is, but I am a believer in all of it. I mean, it's all biblical, right? And yes. Yeah. Yes. It's anointing was done in the Old Testament. So in the New Testament, it, you would anoint prophets, priests, and kings. And um, all that, all it is, is that it's a physical, just like baptism, right? It is a physical representation of a spiritual reality. And so it's mm-hmm. me participating physically and saying, hey, I'm going to do something for my children and I'm just going to plead for them. I'm just going to pray for them and yeah. I'm going to trust Jesus, you know, with them. Um, but I, I think we have to be more intentional about having more conversations much earlier. I read this interesting stat the other day, Jenny, that um, whoever's the first person to tell your child something becomes automatically in their mind the authority figure of wow. that topic. It doesn't even matter if they've got degrees or not. <laughs> it doesn't matter if they're right. actually authoritative or not. You know, it's just the fact that they were first the conversation. So that yeah. has really stuck stuck to me. But those are just, and again, I come from a place of weakness on this one because I've got littles, and so we're literally trying to navigate it. So let's talk before we go. These are these are so helpful, and I love how simple you keep it, Joel. And I know some of you, you know, you're you're going to be praying differently tonight. And I that was our goal, really, was that you rise up in authority, and those of you that that follow Jesus and have the Holy spirit, that that means you get to fight back in ways against the darkness. And so I so encourage you to, to do that and to, to take that authority, to go read Ephesians six, to understand uh, what it means to fight back and to defend against the darkness in your own homes and in the places that God's put you. But before we go, Joel, tell everybody a little bit about the book that you are working on that comes out in the spring. Yeah. Yeah. So I wrote a book, it's called The Hidden Peace, um, and it's how to find finding true security, strength, and courage through humility. And everybody's like, humility, wait a minute. Are you being serious? That's the last thing I, I, I want to read about. And yet what I found, Jenny, is that humility is actually a protection, a presence preservation and a prevention for us. So what does humility do? Humility actually protects us from thinking too low of ourselves. It retains the image of God that we inherently have. It's a prevention in that it prevents us from thinking too high of ourselves where pride seductively leads us to take, you know, go up to a cliff, see the beauty of the mountain and then pride pushes us off the cliff. That's what it does. Mm. It it promises the beauty of the height and then gives us the devastation of the fall. And then it's a preservation Humility is what keeps us rooted in the soil um, of Christ so that we can mm. live the life that he wants us to live. Yeah. Uh, and so for a lot of people, you know, often you think about like our weaknesses and our limitations and and these things are so horrible. Like if only I could just be strong, if only I could have strength, if only I could have peace and stability, then I can, I can actually live a, a peaceful life. And what I've actually found is that weakness ends up being the perfect place for God to plant the power of his strength. And the mm. only way that we can come to that realization is when we accept the call of Jesus who tells us to come follow him, all those who are humble and lowly of heart, and that that humility of following Jesus is not a checklist that we check off and then we move on from. It actually is the soil of the Christian life. You know, in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, I actually make the argument in this, arc, the, this agricultural language 
that it's humility that is the necessary nutrient inside of that soil that fragrances all of the fruit of the spirit. And so um, I'm excited about it. It's honestly not the message I wanted to write about because I have been struck with such deep awareness of my limitations and my weakness and my and my own need yeah. for Jesus in profound ways. But at the end of it, I just knew that this was the message that God wanted me to write because um, too often theology has been weaponized. Um, scripture has been weaponized. Uh, it's hurt people when it's actually supposed to be a healing for people. And I think the missing piece to all of that is actually humility. Mm, it's so good. And I agree. And man, does our world need more humility right now. And that begins with us. So thank you. That sounds awesome. So you guys go pre-order that. It comes out. When does it come out, Joe? Yeah, it comes out March 5th. Uh, pre-order is available now. Uh, you'll get the first three chapters. And then I actually wrote a um, deep dive into, which is fitting for this conversation. It's a it's a deep dive. I don't even make the connect the dots till, we just, till you just said that, Jenny. It's a deep dive into the cost of pride. And it's actually the origin mm. story of Satan. And so wow, Satan, cool. um, he gets himself into this entire mess uh, because of pride. And it's because that is the root of his sin that he presents that mm. as the root of all kinds of other sins for you and, and I that, to follow along. Oh, man, it's everywhere right now. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Joel. So good. Why don't you close us in prayer? I think we could use some prayer after this huge conversation. <laughs> yeah. Lord, uh, thank you for your kindness. And God, I just pray for comfort and I pray for courage and I do pray for confidence. And, and Jesus, we just thank you that your spirit, if we put our faith and our trust in you, our allegiance to you, King Jesus, that um, we will not leave. We should not leave this conversation with fear, anxiety, um, but we leave with a, a confident assurance that you are victorious. You will be victorious and you will come again as reign king and ruler of the world. And so as we wait patiently, we pray that we would be faithful citizens of your kingdom. Um, as we uh, share the good news of what you've done for us with those that we do life alongside of. And Lord, I pray that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand uh, all of the areas that the enemy is trying to be deceptive and trying to tempt us and con us, that we would be able to know so intimately the truth of your yeah. word. And we will use that as the way weapon that um, is the only weapon that we have to fight a spiritual battle. So we trust you and we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. This was no small thing that Joel was able to join us today on the podcast. And you can find so many amazing theological resources on Joel's site, which we'll link below in the show notes. And then coming out early next year, Joel has a new book coming out called The Hidden Peace. And so we will put all the links for you to pre-order in the show notes and where to connect and find more from Joel. Thank you for listening today. We will see you next time for another episode of the Made for This podcast. <music>